electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Charlie's mic, Charlie's mic, and this is Warren's mic, Warren's mic. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today, part three of A Wealth of Wisdom. All this week, we are revisiting our four-part series with Warren Buffett. Hi! Becky Quick sits down with the Oracle of Omaha. At 91, he bought his first stocks in the aftermath of the Great Depression. I think that the pendulum also swings to a better country over time. I think it's a better country now than it was when we started, and it should be. Putting some of today's market mechanisms in perspective with Buffett's longtime partner and vice chairman, Charlie Munger. You know, it contributed greatly to the Great Depression, and it will create terrible problems in the future. And what the hell good is a total return swap doing in the United States? Why the biggest gambles may not yield the biggest profits. Robinhood, Bitcoin, no need to swing for the fences, take it from the billionaires. Who are the swingers here in this country? Well, I don't want to start naming swingers. <laughs> and looking at the reach of a global power. The communist Chinese behave the way I am talking in favor of. And our own wonderful free enterprise economy is letting all these crazy people go to this gross excess. His unique take on China's regulatory and political power, Berkshire's builder, Charlie Munger. Communists did the right thing. They just called in Jack Ma and said, you aren't going to do it, Sonny. Two lifetimes of investing insights from Berkshire's billionaire besties plus Becky Quick on knowing them both. They're just such careful students of history and what's happened before. History may not be the same, but it certainly rhymes, you know, over six or seven decades of actually doing these deals. I think it's pretty easy to see. It's like biblical, greed, gluttony. These are the types of things that come back again and again. Squawk Pod begins right after this. Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Investors, partners, and friends, 91-year-old Warren Buffett and 97-year-old Charlie Munger, he'll be 98 on January 1st, 2022, share an outspoken nature. What is your next goal in life now that you're the richest man in the country? That's easy. It's to be the oldest man in the country. 
for this timeless wisdom from Munger at another installment of Woodstock for Capitalists, 2000's meeting of Berkshire shareholders. If you mix the mathematics of the chain letter or the Ponzi scheme with some legitimate development like the development of the internet, you are mixing something which is wretched and irrational and has bad consequences with something that uh, has very good consequences. But you know, if you mix raisins with turds, they're still turds. Running an investment portfolio of $300 billion with holdings in stocks like Apple, Bank of America, and Coca-Cola, among many others, Buffett and Munger refuse to chase fads that stray from fundamental market analysis. And it's not always popular, like their take on Bitcoin. Bitcoin is worthless artificial gold. Bitcoin, it, it's ingenious, and blockchain is important. But Bitcoin has no unique value at all. It doesn't produce anything. You can stare at it all day and no little Bitcoins come out or anything like that. It's, it's, it is a, it's a delusion, basically. The whole damn development is disgusting and contrary to the interests of civilization. Or free trading app Robinhood. Here's Munger earlier this year. I think it's just god-awful that something like that would draw investment from civilized men and decent citizens. Honor, simplicity. In his annual letter published in early 2014, Buffett advised investors to play it safe. He wrote, keep things simple and don't swing for the fences. When promised quick profits, respond with a quick no. Buffett and his right-hand man, Charlie Munger, have strong opinions about those who take the really big swings. I spoke to Becky Quick on Zoom about their more cautious approach. There aren't a ton of business leaders around who have experience of the economic history of so much of the 20th century, um, like Buffett and Munger do. Yeah, I mean, they both come from an era, I think, when if you were a businessman, your word was good enough, right? If you told somebody you were a deal, do a deal, you did it. And most of the deals that they've cut could be written on a page um, in terms of how they expect those deals to go down. I think it makes them nervous when somebody wants to get into some really deep legal legalese and hire a bunch of consultants because then you're just getting further and further away from, you know, here's what we're going to do and let's do it. Again, these are like universal lessons that, yes, if you want to just do a deal with somebody, don't get a bunch of agents and lawyers and, and bankers and other people through it. It's not that they don't ever bring anything of value to the table. That's that's not it. It's just, do you always need all, all of those different layers? Layers. Complication leverage, and certain financial weapons of mass destruction, like a total return swap, all dangers that Buffett's and Munger's grounded beliefs are against. A little investor's dictionary for you. A total return swap is a financial derivative that allows an investor, like a hedge fund, to invest in an asset without owning it. A user takes on the possible profits and losses of a portfolio in exchange for a fee from a bank or a broker. Swaps can allow an investor to take huge positions for limited cash up front. I wanted to basically just meander a little bit. I, we, we've got two hours to Becky talk. spoke to the friends of six decades at Charlie Munger's home in Los Angeles. We start with a bit of history. In 1934, after the great crash, well, 1932, they held these hearings and they decided that unusual amounts of leverage were one cause of the problem in the 1929 and that, that it posed 
it could pose dangers even to the economy. So they gave the Federal Reserve Board the right to establish how much people could borrow against stocks, margin requirements. They Which was a very good idea. It was a terrific idea. And they totally sound. The Federal Reserve, between 1934 and 1973, used that power, I think, 23 or 24 times. They even raised margins to 100%. But they were the regulators of determining whether excess leverage might have systemic uh, problems associated with it. And then, and, and the rule in 1973 or four was 50%. The rule today is 50%. It has. In the last 40 plus years, first 40 some years, it, 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 it had 23 changes. They went to 100%, they went down to 20, you know, all kinds. Then it was a signal to the economy and all kinds of things. And essentially, Wall Street figured out how to get around that. They and, lobbied through changes in the law. Yeah. So they could have unlimited leverage and keep the transactions off the books and subject to murky accounting. And total swap derivatives. Can you imagine how much total, the world needed total swap derivatives? Total return swaps. That's a t total, total return, return swaps, yes. Yeah, the, the, a total return swap essentially means you're borrowing 100%. And the Federal Reserve says, regulation T or whatever the hell it is, that, that's been there since 1934, says 50%, and it, ha it hasn't changed at all. But Wall Street just figured its way around it. 100% total return swap means just what it says. You don't need any money. Now you need credit or something, and you, you may have to put up a deposit or something. But Wall Street could make more money doing this, and people always want to borrow more money. I mean, there's but no it was shortage. foolish to give people in Wall Street the power that the government gave them when they changed the rules and allowed all this extreme leverage with extreme profits, of course, for the people. It was very seductive and sucked a lot of people in. You know, it contributed greatly to the Great Depression. And it will create terrible problems in the future. And what the hell good is a total return swap doing in the United States? The only people that like it are people who are so nutty about what they learn in economics that they think an ex murder is all right as long as it happens in a free market. Well, the total return swap is like by two people, the guy that wants to borrow 100% and the guy that wants to make more money lending money that way. Because lending the total, to the crooks and fools. Yeah, the, the total return swap means the bank puts up all the money, but you, you're, you're still guaranteeing them against loss or gain. The, uh, the uh, banks would say, we made it through this, we absorbed all the problems ourselves, and, and many of us you know, won't even take a substantial hit on the, on the balance sheet for it. What well, there's an old so the story about the all these banks that think they've done so well. Uh, these two guys are fighting with ra razors. And one takes a big swipe, and I, the other guy says, you missed me, and the guy says, wait until you shake your head. <laughs> They're just such careful students of history and what's happened before, and there is that thing that history may not be the same, but it certainly rhymes. And I think when you're looking at over nine decades of experience of watching this with human interactions and, you know, over six or seven decades of actually doing these deals, I, I think it's pretty easy to see the things that return around and around and blow things up. You know, it's, it's like biblical greed, <laughs> you know, gluttony, you, you know, with the uh, with avarice, these are the types of things that come back again and again. When you use too much leverage, it blows up. And that's a lesson that you can, you know, every five years, you'll see some big example of it in the markets every 10 years. And again, just being students and kind of boiling 
down to the most simplistic terms of things. I think that's why they can very easily identify patterns and see them and they've learned from it. They're just the kind of guys who go around and say the emperor is not wearing any clothes, right? <laughs> <laughs> to his face, probably right. too. Well, Charlie, especially. <laughs> Warren might not say it to his face, but Charlie would. So what would you tell regulators today? What would you well, do? Well, the regulators aren't, but they, they need to change laws now. But of course, if you're running a gambling parlor, you want the big players to gamble more furiously. And that's what the securities business allowed people to do. It was a big mistake. We don't need to have, it, it created a lot of misery. Uh, all this, we don't want to suck people into gambling for way more than they can afford. And you get in the clearance, there were clearance risks in the thing. The whole market was in chaos. But the people who are making money out of this unreasonable extension of credit argue for it and nobody's speaking against it. Last time around, we got the correct regulation that came and stayed for a long time on margin debt, only because we had the worst depression in the history of the English-speaking world. That's what it took to get a little sense into the politicians. This time around, the total return swap. What in hell? That means that if somebody will write you the contract, you can buy $40 billion worth of something or other and send Becky quick. They got to think you're... Uh, you're a very talented woman and all that, but 40 billion might strain you. <laughs> you think well, the, the politicians thing, don't understand? They, they do it with different firms, and each firm thinks they're smarter on their... And some of them are smarter than others. If they have, when they see trouble coming, there's some very interesting stuff you can read on the Internet on what was going on in 2007, a year before 2008, with AIG, for example. Breaking news all over Wall Street this morning. This is a special early morning edition of Squawk as Lehman Brothers files for bankruptcy, AIG working to raise cash and come up with some kind of survival plan, and Bank of America buying Merrill Lynch for about $50 billion in stock. Final details still... The 2008 financial crisis exposed certain investment dangers. Insurance company AIG used a financial instrument called credit default swaps to ensure investment on subprime mortgage-backed securities. We have more uh, insight into what is happening at the Federal Reserve uh, in terms of its efforts to uh, assist AIG with what would be an enormous infusion of capital. When those mortgages defaulted, it pushed AIG to the brink. AIG needs that money. Otherwise, as we've reported many times, the company is very likely to file bankruptcy by tomorrow. The central bank saying an AIG failure would be so disruptive to the global financial markets, it could lead to material economic weakness. And they owed money to different brokerage firms in, in, in Wall Street, quite a bit of money. But AIG was triple-A credit, and there aren't that many triple-A credits. But, but here was this record, and you can see all the emails going back and forth between this brokerage firm and that brokerage firm at AIG, and some of them were valuing certain collateral at 100 cents on the dollar, while at the same time others were valuing it at 60 cents on the dollar. It, it is really an education. And you know we're talking about the biggest firms in the country, and we're talking about AIG, the AAA credit, and we're talking about something that took a year to metastasize into the crash that took place, and, and it's a real education. It, 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 it happens step by step, and you saw signs, a lot of signs in 2007 of the excesses, and, and, and it's tough to be a regulator, too, incidentally. I mean, the regulators are working against, against 
very wealthy everybody. people. Everybody. They're working against everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what fixes it, though? I mean, there have been suggestions that there needs to be well, more transparency. The, there needs to be a, really a crackdown on allowing people to lever up like this. What, the what's correct the answer? answer was never to have allowed most of this stuff to start. From 1934 to 1973. I mean, there's always that. When there's a reform, you know, it lasts. But people want to nibble away at it. And, find, and, and when they find there's a hole in the dike, I mean, then they, it's, it's, it's in their, their self-interest exploit it. And to really go after the big stuff, you're attacking the profit center of institution after institution after institution. It, uh, when Charlie and I went on the board of Solomon, yeah. we learned a lot of things, you know, just, just that. Uh, the, the prime brokerage thing by its nature means you're, you're specializing in lending, lending to the big swingers. And of course it's dangerous. But do you think and the th rules they violated, the same guy was getting four or five brokers at once, and of course he was buying stocks to keep them up to prevent margin calls. And once you start doing that, you're headed for an uh, ugly ending, and of course it happened. But do you think that it would take a systemic breakdown before changes would actually get implemented again, like you referenced with the Great Depression? Well, it, the last time it took the worst depression in the English-speaking world in all history. That's what it took to get the last correction. I certainly don't want that. Now, it, a wise it, regulator, but a wise regulator stops this stuff before it starts. It's very hard to stop. What, in, you know, what interests me in this is that the communist Chinese behave the way I am talking in favor of, and our own wonderful free enterprise economy is letting all these crazy people go to this gross excess. Becky, the, the people who are not avoiding it are the communist Chinese. If you go... They step in preemptively <laughs> to stop speculation. Charlie, you said communist China is doing all the things that we should be doing right now, and I, I can't help but think of what, they're, what well, they've I, done well, to Jack it, Ma. It amuses me, you know. Well, uh, what about what they've done to Jack Ma? Buy the shares of the most important and the biggest IPO in history. Now, there's a half a dozen major underwriters here. Goldman Sachs is leading this. Today, what we've got is kind of money. What we've got is the trust from the people. You know, it's the responsibility. This is a great American story that's actually a Chinese story. I wonder who Jack Ma, the founder of Chinese retail and tech giant Alibaba, has largely been out of sight since last year when he criticized China's government for stifling innovation. In a speech at a conference in Shanghai, Ma called for urgent change to China's banking system and the government's role in business development. A week later, Ma met with government representatives in China, and the Shanghai Stock Exchange scrapped the anticipated IPO of Ma's Ant Group, an online finance platform that was expected to be valued at about $300 billion. The reason cited for killing the IPO, quote, a significant change in the regulatory environment. Jack Ma's one of the swingers. They said, the hell with you. <laughs> he basically got, gave a speech when he said to a, to a one-party state, well, you guys are a bunch of jerks don't know what you're doing, and I know what I'm doing, and I'm going to do it better. And he was going to wade into banking and no rules and just do whatever he pleased. He uh, Chinese, the Chinese communists did the right thing. They just called in Jack Ma and said, you aren't going to do it, Sonny. I don't want the, all of the Chinese system, but I certainly would like to have the financial part of it in my own country. Although Ant Financial was bringing banking to a huge unbanked population before. I mean, there were things that they were doing that... I know, but you don't want a swinger to run. I the can't. banks have the implicit guarantee of the government, and you don't, 
you don't want to let any swinger run a bank. Let the swingers do something else. Who are the swingers here in this country? Well, I don't want to start naming swingers. <laughs> they'll, they'll appear. <laughs> Berkshire Hathaway owned a bank. It was, it, it, it's not allowed to now, but, but, but uh, we had a bank in Rockford, Illinois. We had, we had the best banker in the country. <laughs> and, uh, but he... We made large, decent, honorable profits with no risk year after year after year. But the guy who ran it was a genius, and he was not interested in loaning money, not getting it back. Yeah, I mean, it, look at GNNE, you know. It started out, it, when he started the Bank of America, it was called the Bank of Italy originally. You know, it, he totally went after the unbanked. I mean, he started with, you know, with, with the Italian neighborhoods. And, 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 and they deserve the credit, by the way, the kind of people he was picking. No, but there are a lot of people that don't deserve the credit. When GNNE started that bank, he had $300,000. And I think when he died, his estate was like a million. He was not in it for the money. He really wanted, he, he, he cared about the bank. He cared about the people he was, the losses he took, he lent to, and he had big ambitions. But... Uh, Chinese communists are not an, against loaning to the people at Giannini. It was, it was the speculators and big swingers that they were wanting to rein in. You know, the way the story has kind of been painted is that it's the Chinese communists who don't want to lose power and some of the capitalists who have maybe gained too much power under, under at least what the communists might like, might like to see. And, and well, the clash between the, those two. Uh, both groups want more power, not less. Well, politicians but, but these, in this country but, want more power and the rich want more power. <laughs> yes, yes. No one's so different in China, yeah. <laughs> and, but the banking system, take shadow banking which we have in this country. People say, well, it's the unbanked. Well, the whole leverage buyout lending operation practically left the banks and went to shadow banks in our own country. And it hasn't caused any big trouble yet, but I'll be amazed if it doesn't. Well, Jamie Dimon has said that, and like, look out for the, some of the fintech areas, that they're not yes, regulated. Yes, I agree with Jamie Dimon on that. I, I don't think allowing all the swingers in the world to act as though they're banks is a good idea. Next on Squawk Pod, from swingers to gamblers, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger on risk. There's an old saying when you cash your accountant. What's two plus two? You what's two plus two? What, what number do you want? We're back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. 
Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Today, life lessons from the outspoken pair behind the decades-long success of Berkshire Hathaway, CEO Warren Buffett and Vice Chair Charlie Munger. Becky Quick has been covering Buffett for years, and I asked her about the critical comments that he and Munger have made about online trading platform and pandemic meme stock buzzword, Robinhood. A lot of people would say this is things like Robinhood have have democratized access and regular people can own a part of a company. Is their view old fashioned? Well, look, I I think they would both say that stocks were democratized beforehand. Uh, Warren bought his first stock when he was 11. Not on Robinhood. (laughs) Right. Not on Robinhood. And by the way, both of them have kind of set things up at the annual meeting and through so many other things that they do is just trying to teach average people that they can make it on Wall Street, too. So they are 100 percent in favor of the democratization of Wall Street message. Well, Robin Hood is beneath contempt. Why? Well, it's a gambling parlor masquerading as a respectable business. And the pushback on that is always this is a way of getting average people into the markets. Well, people of who course didn't have you don't want to before. say you're a, it's a gambling parlor, right. but it is a gambling parlor. It's not encouraging people to buy a very, very, very low-cost index fund and hold it for 50 years. I will guarantee you that you will not walk in there, get that no. advice. Instead, you'll get advice on how you can trade options, and they'll tell you that... And it's telling people they aren't paying commissions when the commissions are simply disguised in the trading. It's basically a sleazy, disreputable operation. And the interesting thing about it is that some good people you would be glad to have marry into your family have backed it. And bailed so it out when they got in trouble. It's a very bad sign when that starts happening in a civilization. That's capitalism. That, yeah. yeah that. I mean, that was another situation where they got bailed out, or there were a lot of people who, who could have gotten hung up and lost oh, their money Oh, yes. That. The clearance risks there were perfectly enormous. Again, massive greed, massive stupidity, and massive immorality, I would say. If you're encouraging people to come in and trade yeah. 20 or 30 times a day, I mean, that, you know, it... it uh, and with leverage. What good are we doing a civilization to teach some 20-year-old idiot to swing mightily at trading stocks he knows nothing about based could, on the, what's could, going by on the ticker? He could be a 20-year-old. Higher and higher mark credit. Yeah. It's crazy. Is that what you want with your little son? That's what you're looking forward to? The little 18-year-old swinging, maybe well, mortgaging the house or something? He could be a 20-year-old, very intelligent person, too. And it's really hard to time stocks. I mean, that's when you're really, it's more like you're going to the casino, not like you're going to the investing. And I think that's what galls them is the idea of the frequent trades in and out of it, that you know, you're really talking about luck because you may know what a company's worth or what it's not, but markets aren't always logical and markets don't always make sense. And unless you are a long-term investor who is putting money in stocks and leaving it there for a long time, you're not guaranteed of anything. And I think that's what bothers them about it. It's not the, the idea of getting access to everybody to put their money in the stock market. That's fantastic. But when there are bells and whistles and rewards for the more frequently you trade, I think that galls them. The gambling instinct is very, very strong in people. And, and, uh, you know, the government learned to take advantage of it when they went into the lottery business and they started, in effect, taxing the, the poor and the hopeful <laughs> instead of taxing like guys like me to an extent. I mean, 
the lottery revenue substitutes for some other revenue that well, they might I get. Said, it was not a good thing when the government of all these states took over the numbers business of the Italian mafia. That's what they did when they had state lotteries everywhere. That was the numbers business. It was called the numbers game. It was the number. It was run by the mafia entirely, and the governments of our country decided that, gee, we don't like those nice Italians making all that money when the government could have it. <laughs> and they decided they would run the numbers game, and that's what we do. They decided it was a big source of revenue. Yeah. That was that did not cost them bolts of increasing taxes, might cost them the incumbent people to do it. And, and, and when, one, when one does it, they say, well, if they can do it, we can do it. And, you know, bad practices spread, unfortunately. I, I, I don't condemn people that have the hope of buying it on. I mean, I, it, it, gambling is a, it's a very natural thing. If I'm watching a football game with somebody, I don't care who wins, but I still want to watch the game, and I got another friend that will, we'll bet $5 on the game and it'll be more interesting, you know. And, but uh, I, don't, I don't condemn gambling. I don't think it's smart necessarily, but I, I don't condemn it. But I, no, do, but, I, but, I do think but sucking, you, you, sucking people into a lifetime of gambling. Yeah, is. But gambling goes to dumb people lose a lot of money and then they hire somebody to break some guy's legs who he doesn't pay his gambling debt. And it gets ugly pretty fast. I mean, you could say the same thing if you wanted to stretch that analogy out. There's legalization of a lot of things that used to be illegal. Well, that's the, that's the question. You know, I mean, how, to what extent you try to protect people from their own foils and make it, and, and those are, I mean, prohibition was the, the classic in that case. And, and there, people have great philosophical differences on that. No, I don't think the United States can, can, should try and prevent all gambling. It's... It would be like trying to get rid of all liquor. And I don't think it would be a proper thing to do, but they used to have laws that prevented what we now have so much of. You think this is a pendulum swing? Where laws get looser and looser and looser and I, then something happens. They've been getting yeah. looser through my whole lifetime. So no. I've seen no swing back at all. Have you, Warren? No, although I think that the pendulum also swings to, to a better country over time. I mean, I think we're talking about the period of the 30s for gambling. You know, the FDIC came out of it, the Social Security came out of it. There's some very, very good things also come. So I, I think it's a better country now than, than, than it was when we started, and it should be. I mean, it's a more prosperous country, but it, we started out you know, with a half a percent of the world's population, and this has come out of it. So the system is not all bad at all. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to design a perfect system of you know, government and, 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 and economics that go with it. And, uh, so I actually think we've, we've done pretty well, but we're sitting here talking about the excesses we, we've but seen. But the old that. margin rules did more good than harm, is what I'm saying. I'd, I'd be glad to have them back. Well, they're there. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, there, but no, no. They, they passed new rules and, and they made new no, interpretations. They allowed, they allowed imagination yeah. to go beyond the rules. And that's what people do with rules. The funny thing is the accountants have gone along with it to some extent. Oh. At, in, the, in the financial derivative business, it's not unusual to have two, the same trade and the accountants on each side value it so both sides are making a profit, yeah. a big profit. If you wanted to break. Accountants, you know, there's an old saying when you ask your accountant. What's two plus two? You know, what's two plus two? What, <laughs> what, what number do you want? 
yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, well, it, uh, it would be very interesting. You know, there's four big accounting firms in the country. There's all these big financial institutions with millions of contracts on them. And if I were running sort of whatever that might be the investigative group at the Treasury or the Federal Reserve or someplace, I would just take a smart guy and for two weeks put him in a room and I would have him with the power to get a hundred of the very esoteric contracts, not, not interest rate swaps or currency swaps, but the, the most esoteric contracts and find out where the, the same accountant happened to be on for both Bank A and Bank B and see what they were both valued at. And I, I will guarantee you, you learn a lot from that. It's just, if you're using the government's credit, you want the banking company, business regulated, and you, and you want banking to be a pretty sober group of people, not the wild swingers of the world. And, uh, They're using this, the government's credit, and not only that, the monetary policy of the country is intimately twisted in with the prosperity of the country, and we have a Federal Reserve system and so forth. You let everybody do so if they want. It's hard for the Federal Reserve or anybody else to constructively help the economy. But we've got the best banking system probably. And I, I can't speak for all 200 countries or anything like that, but it is a terrific banking system. And it's, they it, have reined it in somewhat lately. And it's, about, it, it's so much better than it existed in the 19th century. I mean, the Federal Reserve was a huge improvement. I mean, the FDIC that came in in 1934, I mean, all... We, we've, our banking system is a whole lot better than most people's and our own past banking system. Over the past year or more, Warren Buffett, a longtime investor in the financial sector, has been selling off shares in some of the nation's biggest banks. Berkshire Hathaway sold down its stakes in Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, regional bank PNC Financial, and the company eliminated a longtime position in Wells Fargo. This shift started with the global pandemic, which in early 2020 brought the U.S. economy to an unfamiliar place. Like banks generally, I just didn't like the proportion we had in it compared to the possible risk if we if we got bad results that did not. So far, we haven't gotten. We overall didn't want as much in banks as as we had. It seemed like at the annual meeting you were laying out a pretty different reason. It had to do more with the pandemic and bad loans that might come along. Is that fair to say? There are things that can happen in this world that would make banking a more dangerous situation. And they almost happened in 2008. Well, they did happen. 8% of the deposits had to be moved in two weeks from Wachovia and different people to other institutions. Now, the people in charge reacted well. You don't always have people in charge that will react well. I can think of secretaries of the Treasury that if they'd been there, would not have been, we did, you know, we'd have had a hell of a lot bigger mess. I mean, we have people, and those people behaved well in 2008 and 9, and they behaved extraordinarily well uh, in this, in March of, of, of 2020. But you don't, you still, you don't want to keep rolling the dice on that more than you have to. And it, uh, we have a better banking system than a good many countries around the world, but we're also, we're also in, intertwined with those countries in so many ways. We do not want major banking systems around the, in certain countries around the world to have problems. We will have problems. So, uh, 
So it's, it's got a certain, there's other businesses that are simpler that, uh, that have less risk than them, essentially, than banking. All right, so what else do you see on Wall Street? Anything you would change if you were the king of Wall Street for the day or the week or the year? It's an amazing market, and what Keynes said a long time ago is that, that uh, it serves some very, very, very important services, and it can be, a, at the same time, it runs a casino, and, and, and sometimes there's a lot more money in serving the casino there is in, in uh, serving as more normal uh, possibilities, uh, and, and uh, that will be ever thus. <laughs> That's Squawk Pod for today, the third installment in our special series, A Wealth of Wisdom, with Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. If you like and follow Squawk Pod on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, really anywhere you can get podcasts, you'll find each of our special episodes this week. Tomorrow, we wrap things up, how 2020 and the pandemic has changed America, but maybe hasn't changed everyone. I was not Zoom guy. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> If you are interested in exploring more of the sound and archival video clips from decades of the Berkshire Hathaway annual meetings or past CNBC interviews with the Oracle of Omaha, I urge you to check out buffett.cnbc.com. That's the Warren Buffett Archive, the world's largest collection of Buffett speaking about business, investing, money, and life. It has 500-plus searchable clips on scores of topics. That's buffett.cnbc.com. Thanks for listening to Squawk Pod. We'll meet you right back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.